Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, August 14th, 2022 called Don't Be Afraid, Peter, Paul, and Mary, given by Pastor Jonathan Dinger. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. God's grace, his mercy, and his peace are yours in Jesus Christ our Savior. And there's an outline if you want to jot some notes. We're unpacking, as I said, our theme from Isaiah 43. Uh, Fear not. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. So as we unpack that, now we want to go in some detail. I did an overview of the whole thing last week a little bit. And of course, again, I remind you, and if you're joining us online, we welcome you. Um, We're grateful that you're able to do that. We continue to have a strong online presence uh, every week. That's, that's pretty neat. Um, so we continue to try to serve as broadly as we can. But if you want to go back, please know we have all these recorded. If you want to review or refresh or see ones that maybe you've missed, you're certainly able in, uh, to do that. A number of people have told me how that's blessed them uh, when they've traveled or they've just been unable to be here. And you can see how it all hangs together because now I want to unpack this whole idea of fear not which I find of uh, kind of a really intriguing thing to discuss. It seems so simple. It's, what's interesting to me is I always love when I taught high school and I taught high school theology, I would say to them, let's go through and look at whenever angels show up, what's about the first word out of their mouth? Fear not. Don't be afraid, right? It's, it's almost, almost always about the first, first words. And we, and we have it here with Mary. He, it, he says it second. Um, once she shows how how afraid she is, how fearful she is. But whenever they show up, and I say to them, why do you think that is? And, you know, it can be, well, it's confusing or it's unusual. It's, we don't know. You remember when Moses came down the mountain? When Moses came down the mountain, the people of Israel, his face was so bright because he was standing in the presence of the Almighty God. And so even not seeing God face-to-face, because no one can see God face-to-face and live, but just seeing the back side, he was so radiant that the, the people of God said, hide it, hide it, cover it up, wear a veil. That's interesting. I think there's a parallel to our, to our culture and time today. Please don't tell me the full truth of God. Hide that for me. It's too much. The holiness of God, the perfection of God, just a little too much. Um, and so here it's interesting. So therefore, angels, and angels, if, if we know a couple things about them, they are warriors, part of the heavenly host, right? We don't know. There's no angel choirs that we know of. Sorry, Teresa. Um, but it, we, we kind of portray them as choirs. Um, but there's often this very kind of effeminate um, uh, very kind of per- portrayal of angels, or they're little fat little babies with wings. Uh, cherubs, and that's not at all the biblical image of them. So angels are warriors. Michael is the leader, the general of uh, the heavenly host. Gabriel is God's messenger, his mouthpiece, his voice uh, to people at critical moments. And so angel, and then there are, there's an honor guard for them, the seraphim, who guard and watch the holy presence of God um, in heaven. And so there's this honor um, kind of majesty And so angels are standing constantly in the presence of God. So when they appear before humans, it's a bit much to bear. Because the reason they say, don't be afraid, it's almost like their first word should be, why are you face down on the ground? Because that's almost certainly where they are. 
And so I really appreciate Patty saying that. And we talked about it a little bit last week. There are lots of fears. There are lots of them. But what, and, and to be honest about that, to be truthful about it, it's, it, it would be a silly thing for my message for you to say what God is telling us is that you should never be afraid. There are no fears in this world. There are no things that, that, that cause us to be fearful. It's almost like a, this very insensitive thing. Like, you know, we, we react poorly when people tell us how to feel or when people will say, oh, I know, I understand exactly what you're going through. And we often get very defensive, you know, and say, you don't know anything about what I'm going through. You haven't gone through this. And, you know, so often I feel so badly about that. It's really not a person being defensive or something. To be honest, you don't know what that other person has gone through, to be honest. They may have been to hell and back three times. But what we're trying to do is reach out and care for one another. But to tell someone how to feel, that's almost offensive, isn't it? You shouldn't feel that way. The angel says, fear not. Don't be afraid. It's a command. It's not a question. It's not a rhetorical question. It's not a proposal. It's a command. So that is an incongruity, a paradox for me, that I want us to understand a little better. So that's why I wanted to go a little deeper here. Because when, when we hear that command, don't be afraid, how can that be? Because the reality is there are many things of which we are afraid. And I went through a litany of them, and Patty showed some of these things here today too. There are a number of things of which we are afraid. Unless, and here's the heart of what I want to share with you today. Unless you are in healthy, godly relationship with Jesus Christ. Everything changes about our fears when we are in that kind of relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, there's a little bit of a law element there because what you might hear is, well, I'm fearful all the time, or I'm fearful often. Does that mean I'm not in relationship with Christ? No. The brokenness of our world, our own humanity, I'm just being honest with us. There are times, I mean, honestly, it's weird. When I, when I, um, when I was... Um, working on my house for two months, I would wake up and I would say, I wonder if people think I don't care about them as their pastor. You know, I wonder if people think I'm, I'm just slacking off or just taking, getting free vacation or something like that. I would be fearful of that. But you know what changed? You know how long that feeling lasted and that thought? Just a moment. Because immediately, because you know who's whispering that in one side of my head? And on the other side of my head, I, I have God saying, you have a family. You have a family in which Christ is the head and where Christ and his gifts are present. Why are you fearful about that? Why are you afraid? We have new teachers. You think they're a little bit nervous about school starting? We have a brand new teacher we've called out of college. Think he's maybe a little bit nervous? We have things going on in our world. We have conspiracy theorists. We have loud shouting, talking voices. I think often they're trying to create fear. And they will tell you, you should be afraid. I, I, I hate that line when I hear that one. You should be afraid. Because here you have the voice of God and his angels saying to his people, fear not. So here's the thing. I don't, I, I, the law on this is really for us to just stop and examine and to say, what I'm longing for is the kind of relationship with Christ that drives out fear. That's what I, and Patty, we kind of were on the same page. You're similar. We poured the water in. The kind of relationship in which faith drives out 
fear. And so I wanted to take Peter, Paul, and Mary. We'll do it in a little different order. I wanted to start with Mary. I love to use the examples from Scripture of people who were, in fact, filled with fear, but who ended up, in spite of those fears, in spite of the challenges they faced, to be people of faith. How did that happen? So the first thing I wanted to talk about here, and and when I looked at this uh, sermon today, because I said, boy, I just talked about all these things last week a little bit. How can I unpack it? And immediately the verse that came to mind was this passage uh, from 2 Timothy. And Ralph introduced it nicely. The idea is it's Paul's last will and testament. He's in the Mamertine dungeon. And sometimes we get this impression. In the, Paul was under house arrest previously, then was released. And in house arrest, he was in a home. He could have visitors. He had regular guests. You know, it's kind of a guard at the door, maybe. You know, it was not a big deal. This is very different. This is Nero's reign. Christians are now despised, followers of the way they were called. And Paul is imprisoned because he refused. He refused to cease speaking of his Savior, to speak of Jesus. And so now he is chained. He's in a cold, dark dungeon. He confesses that only Luke is with me, and we know that Luke isn't in the cell with him. He has to apply to visit, and he probably just brings him materials and things like that. It's very, very different. He is sitting there knowing that he's going to meet his Savior in heaven, that his earthly ministry in life has come to a conclusion. You know, that's the worst part, isn't it? Is the waiting. Is the waiting. Because that's that's where the devil in our own brokenness whispers in our ear. In all those times. But Paul isn't that way. And I wanted to say, here's what it is. Because in an older version, an older translation... It actually translates it this way. As he writes this to, to Timothy, young pastor who he's trying to encourage, the, the, the letter, it's brief, the letter is filled with hope and encouragement for a young pastor uh, beginning his ministry. And he talks about it. I've been reminded of your sincere faith. And he talks about the lineage of faith, his grandmother Lois, his mother Eunice, who passed on the faith to him. And I'm persuaded it's in you also. He says, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity. Other translations will say fear. God did not give us a spirit of fear, being driven by fear, but a spirit instead of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So how does that look? So let me unpack it here a little bit. There's three points I want to do this because my contention is that those who rest in full relationship with Christ Now, I have a wonderful relationship with my wife. Do you think periodically it's broken? It's my fault always, just so you know. Um, But periodically broken, periodically I'm I'm a sinner, um, more than periodically. (laughs) Um, But I'm human and sometimes selfish and sometimes irritated or sometimes impatient, all those things. But boy, I thank God that I am in this 39 years, we celebrated our anniversary just a week ago, relationship with my wife. I know I can always come home. I know I can always come to her. I know I can be honest. What I'm saying is, as we grow in that relationship with our Savior, who has already loved us with an inestimable love, as we grow in that relationship, as it grows, it pushes fear away. It does not give it a, a stronghold, a foothold. It cannot cling. Are we still attacked by fears at times? Yeah, let's just be honest. But it can't take hold. 
Faith is that which takes hold of the gifts of God and takes hold in us. So here's the first one. We'll talk about the story of Mary. So we heard that in the gospel lesson, the the Annunciation. Mary is almost certainly a teenage girl, pledged to be married, promised to Joseph, a devout man we know from Scripture. And then here comes the angel. You are highly favored. You have found favor with God. And she's afraid. Because what the angel comes to tell her is beyond her comprehension, beyond any of our comprehensions. Don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God, the angel repeats. And you will bear the Lord's. I should read it. I should read it word for word. Sorry. Make sure I get it right. Hail, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Don't be afraid. You found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you'll give him the name Jesus. He will be called the Son of God. She's overwhelmed. What's this first fear that happens? This first fear. So it's an interesting thing as I build this house. Forgive me for all my house building illustrations. So I do this with Brad. And I, I know the time where Brad and I get frustrated with each other is when I'm stupid. Because there are times when Brad will just explain this thing to me. Here's how we're going to do this header, and it's going to have this sheer strength, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do this corner. And I just look, I must look like, you know, it's a vacant look on my face. Because I have no idea. And he'll say to me, you don't get what I'm saying, do you? And I go, no. And then I want to understand it. I mean, I'm a fairly smart guy. I would like to understand it. So I want to know how that works. And then he tries. And then he tries again. And then I finally say, you know what I say? I trust you, Brad. Just build it. You tell me where to nail, and I'll nail it there. Okay? I don't get it. And then as it happens and develops, I begin to see it. Because the master craftsman knows exactly what needs to be built. And he builds it in such a way that when it's built, I can see it. By faith, I see and trust that that will be built in that way. Mary is filled with confusion. That's the first blank. I was hesitant to talk about the mother of God to say she was ignorant. I might get calls from my Catholic and Greek Orthodox friends. I don't mean that offensively. She just didn't know. How can this be? Are any of you that kind of person? I am. I am one of these kinds of people. If you can't explain it to me and I can't understand it, my frustration and irritation really grows. It's hard for me. I want to know how it works. Like if you come to my Life in Christ class, like for instance, I grew up in the church and and nobody ever explained anything to me. It was kind of like, just believe it. And thankfully, I had some teachers and professors and others who along the way loved to explain it and share how that went. So that whole Life in Christ class is a lot of my own journey and searching How do I know the world is broken? How do we know that someone has been sent to fix it? How do we know we can trust the scriptures? How can it possibly make sense that Jesus is both fully man and fully God? How can that be? How do you think that anything's happening in that water we do here? Or when you come for communion, that how how, what does Jesus mean when he says, This is my body and this is my blood? I'm one of those people. I want to know. And I often say to my students, especially my junior confirmation kids, I will not be able to explain this all to you, but I can tell you why it matters. And I can tell you where it comes from in God's word. I can do that. And so that's what I long for in my own heart. And I can see Mary in her confusion. 
Because it's not just confusion. You know there's lots of other emotions going on. What will my fiancé say? What will my family say? What does this mean? Does it happen normally? Does it happen? What's going to happen? What will my reputation? And all those things come into play. And so her first thing, and I just wonder if this is for you, are you one of those where fears arise when we just don't understand it? I have had people reject the faith because they say, I just can't make it add up. It's always interesting when I go into middle school, I see Christine here, God bless you, she invites me in, and I love to say to kids sometimes, I go to Christian studies and do the, talk about the Trinity, right? And I always chuckle, hey, explain the Trinity, Woohoo! good luck with that. And, uh, and I say, thank God, I can't explain it, I have a God bigger than me. I have a God bigger than the gray matter between my two ears, he's bigger than me. But I love to say to him, pull out your smartphone and say, if you got one of these, I always ask him, do you know how this works? And some, a couple of cocky kids always go, oh, yeah, I know how that works. And I go, yeah, really? <laughs> okay, write it out for me. They don't know squat. All they, but I say, you use it all the time, don't you? You constantly use it. And so you use it. You rely on it. In fact, you trust in it, even though you don't know how it works. So don't give me some song and dance that I reject that because I don't understand how it works. You've got to hand me your smartphone and never have it back. And so the first thing on this is there's a frustration out of that confusion. How is it resolved for Mary? And what we need to do there is turn then to the Magnificat. And in the Magnificat, what Mary does beautifully, my soul magnifies the Lord. That's where we get the name. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He has been mindful of his humble servant, of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And what Mary essentially does is she says, from generation to generation, you have been faithful. You have acted in power. You have filled the hungry with good things. You have brought down rulers. You've sent, um, you have helped your servant Israel. You have remembered to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. How does Mary overcome this fear of I just don't understand it. I just don't get it. I want it to add up. He says, the one, she says, the one speaking to me has been faithful forever in the past. Remember his faithfulness. And so if you're overwhelmed by it, it just doesn't make sense. I want it to add up. It needs to have a balance sheet. Please remember, God's faithfulness has shown that he will continue to keep the promise he said to you today, which you may not understand. So if you come to the altar, and we've said Christ's body and blood are there for the forgiveness of your sins, and you say, I just don't know how that goes, please know I don't understand how it works either. But I know that Christ has promised it, and his faithfulness in the cross, and as our resurrected Lord, and his promises throughout all generations has overcome my ignorance, because that is in fact what it is, my ignorance and my confusion, and filled it with faith to push out those fears. Here's the second instance. So Mary is such a wonderful testimony of faith for us. Uh, for us. Second one, then I want to move to, is Peter. And, um, and this is interesting. I'm going to show you a little clip from The Chosen where Peter comes to faith. And if you remember this scene from the, from the Bible, and The Chosen takes lots of liberties. It's a, there's a lot of fill-in they do. I mean, they make it so that Peter is kind of on the run from Romans for taxes, and he's, he's way behind, he's about to lose his business, and there's tension with him and his wife. And, and, so, and then he starts ratting on his neighbors and things like that. So that's all not in the Bible, right? 
I'm just warning you. Um, but it's also a fascinating portrayal that helps us understand why Peter says what he says to Jesus when Jesus invites him to follow him. So this is the miraculous catch of fish. Just a couple of minutes. Let's go ahead and show that clip. You are the Lamb of God, yes? I am. Depart from me. I am a sinful man. You don't know who I am and the things I've done. Don't be afraid, Simon. I'm sorry. We, we've waited for you for so long, we believe. But my faith, how sorry. Lift up your head, fisherman. Anything you ask, I will do. Follow me. Anyway, it's pretty good. The first one isn't quite as intense as this. Peter, who's been told by John the Baptist, by his brother... This is the Messiah. This is the Lamb of God come to take away the sins of the world. 
And Peter has just dismissed it. And this miracle overwhelms him. And it's always that peace, that, that verbiage that he says. He comes out in, in, the, in the account in Luke chapter 5. Get away from me, Lord. Get away from me. I am a sinful man. It's like Isaiah. When Isaiah was called, Isaiah was brought into the presence of God. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. I, I cannot stand in the presence of the Almighty. But it is the Almighty who comes and stands with Peter. The second one is shame, source of fear. I cannot tell you how many people say to me, because I, I do this a lot. So like I'll, I'll go play golf. I used to in Oregon play a lot. And I would go by myself knowing I'd get put together with several other people. And so you play golf, you shake hands, you say hi, you tee off. About the third hole, you're teeing off, and you, then you really do the introductions. Hey, what do you do for a living, and what's this? And I would say, I'm the pastor of Bethlehem Lutheran Church. And then they would all apologize because of all the language they had used so far already. And then I would say, I bartended for seven years. You can't say nothing I ain't heard. I said, but you ought to come to church sometime. You ought to come. See if, see if what I say is boring or it doesn't make sense to you or it's not meaningful. Come and see. We just talk about God's word. And they'll inevitably say, if I go in the church, it'll burn down, lightning will strike, you know, those kinds of things. And I said, and I will always say to them, don't you know that God has already come to you? He's already come to you. He's not needing you to become worthy enough to come to him. He knows that's a losing bet. It's not going to happen. And so, so many people come with shame. If you knew my past... If you knew my mind, my thoughts, my actions, I'm, I can't stand in the presence of God. Grace can't be real. And to be honest, among human beings, probably right. But when you have a God of unlimited mercy and love who is longing for you to know the fullness of his redemptive power, his restorative power, that's what he's calling Peter to. He's not just calling Peter to become a servant to do the work of the church. He's restoring Peter. He's redeeming Peter. That's what we'll talk about next week. I have redeemed you. And so what I love to see about this is what Peter's grappling with. If Mary was grappling with confusion, I don't understand how it works. And the solution is to stop and say, God has been faithful in the past at every step. What's the solution to shame? It's Jesus' invitation, walk with me. I am not embarrassed by you, Peter, or Jonathan. Walk with me. Walk with me. And in my presence, faith will drive out fear. Because I will prove to you that your shame has not kept me away from you. In fact, it has compelled me to come to you. Third thing, I had a, my, my mentor pastor when I was on my internship. So at, our, at seminary, we go two years of coursework, then we do a year in the field, and then we come back for a fourth year of coursework for, to get our, our degree to be a pastor. And in my third year, I went to Eugene, Oregon, uh, Springfield, Oregon, actually. And, and I had a, we had a little tiny church, and I was it. And Teresa and I did a lot of work there. I had a supervising pastor at the church downtown in Eugene. And he, after 30 days, left. So for like six to eight weeks, 
I was all by myself with two churches. And, and then came Pastor Harry Schultz, the sainted Harry Schultz. He's in heaven now. And Harry Schultz was a dear, dear man. And it took me a couple months before I learned his history because he spoke with a German accent. Um, he had fought in World War II for the wrong side. He had fought. He was a lieutenant in the Nazi army. He wasn't involved with things like death camps and Holocaust and stuff, but he saw real fighting in the Eastern Front in Russia and had a group of men that he was in charge of. And at one time he sat down and he really told me his story. And his story very much was, I was fighting for the other side. And when I came to America, I was welcomed and forgiven and shown grace. He came to study to be a pastor. And so he came shortly after World War II. And even with that accent, he was shown grace and patience. Not always. Not always. Human beings being, being what we are. And the hurts of war are real and deep. And the fears that arise from that. But the fear of this is not only did I see my own sin, but I was actually fighting against. That's Paul's story. You know it. Paul, who persecuted the church who was sent to Damascus to imprison, leading to the execution of, and the torture of, and the imprisonment of, of followers of the way of Christians. And Paul confesses this. I'm the chief of sinners. I shouldn't be called a, an apostle. But by the grace of God, I am who I am. I am who God has made me to be. And so this is one of the great testimonies that Paul, in this dungeon, has no hint of fear. Do you think there might have been? Yes isolation, loneliness. He expresses those as a longing, not as fear. He's not afraid because he's alone. He's not fearful because he might die. He, those are the things which, would, which often would cause me or many of us fears. He's not fearful for those things. He is grateful for when he has them. And he knows for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. And so as he writes this letter of encouragement, Paul's fear can be from things like persecution, isolation, and death. And you know, we went through a couple of years in which for so many people, somehow people were taught this message. Death is the worst thing that can happen to you. No, it's not. Dying without Christ is the worst thing that can happen to you. And sadly, there were sometimes measures taken that prevented us from sharing the full gospel message of Jesus Christ. That's the worst thing that can happen to you. And so we don't live recklessly or foolishly. Of course not. And, it, and we never should take the position of, of judging other people and how they choose to do that. We just hold up Christ. And that's what Paul is doing here in the midst of persecution, isolation, and death. As he tells them in Romans chapter 8, For your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered by the Roman Empire, by their enemies in the state, other religions. And he said, but we rise with Christ from death to life. Paul talks about it in Romans 6. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were buried with him in his death? That doesn't sound very fun. But just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of Father, we too shall have a newness of life. We have that new life in Christ. So, how is that fear crowded out? 
In Mary's case, it's remembering God's faithfulness. In Peter's case, it's walking with Jesus faithfully and consistently. In Paul's case, he knows that just as Christ rose from the dead, so he too shall rise by God's gracious gift and power. And so in relationship with Christ, that's the invitation here. The fear not happens as we continue to grow in our understanding, our knowledge of God's faithfulness in Christ, walking with Christ together, buried with him and rising to newness of life. As that relationship grows, fears are transformed. They are faith, faith crowds out fear. And fears do not debilitate us. They may still come to us, but they don't take hold. For faith has taken hold. Faith, the work of God's Spirit, our trust in Christ, clinging to his promises. And so Jesus crowds out fear, for he is so big, so great, and so full of mercy. To God be the glory. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org. And make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. Thank you.